You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, let's take our Bibles, turn to Genesis 1. We'll read this morning out of Genesis 1. And we'll have a special. Go ahead and stand, if you would, out of respect of God's Word. We'll read out of Genesis 1 here, and uh, then we'll have the special Aaron will sing. And uh, then we'll get into the message this morning. Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll be. And by now, you hopefully it's, it's uh, easy to find for you right there at the beginning of the Bible. It's our fourth message out of this chapter. And uh, that, that's a small amount for what really could be preached out of Genesis 1. It's Lord willing, this will be our last message out of this chapter, and uh, I'm going to be looking at a, a subject today that I think is it, it's helpful. It comes at an important time, uh, but it's not always easy to preach on things like this. And so Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That's man's dominion over the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Male and female created he them, and that'll be... What we're focusing on, let's read down through the end of the chapter. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God blessed his creation, male and female. He blessed them, he enriched them, and that relationship is meant then to reproduce male and female, Reproduce those that bear God's image. Verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, of all the earth, and every tree, and the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And this verse is absolutely important. And God saw everything. That he had made, and behold, it was very good. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. You know, one thing that we can't overlook in chapter 1 is that when God creates, it's good. See, six times during the chapter 1, during this chapter here, it says God saw. He looked at his creation, and he saw that it was good. The summary of the chapter of the, in verse 31 is God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. And that was certainly true for mankind, for human beings, male and female. God created them and it was very good. And not only that, he turned and he blessed it beyond just the normal creation. He blessed it. He enriched the human beings with the ability to bear his image and reproduce others that bear that image. No other creation got that special commission. No other creation received that kind of individual care that God would form and breathe his breath of life into that body. When we read Genesis 1, our takeaway is this. Just like last week, this is how it's supposed to be. 
When God creates and nothing else has come in and touched it or, or tainted it or messed with it, when God creates, this is what it looks like. This is how it's supposed to be. And yet some of the life basics presented here in chapter 1 are under fire. We're going to look at one very important issue that is dealt with in the phrase, male and female created he them. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We live in a me-centric world. And I think you could probably start every sermon out like that. We live in a me-centric world, from selfies to self-expression to self-love. The individual self has been elevated to the position of highest honor. See, it's worshipped. The individual is worshipped in our country. Individual rights are now the highest virtue, and anything that infringes on an individual's right of expression is labeled intolerant and discriminatory. One subject introduced in Genesis 1 that's at the forefront in the battle for individual expression is biblical gender. And I want to start by saying today that as a preacher, there are things you want to talk about. And I'd love to preach about the cross, and I'd like to talk about the resurrection this morning. I wouldn't mind praying for the rapture, or preaching about the rapture right now, actually. I was thinking this morning, maybe even, I I might even prefer Leviticus. You know, for me to preach on gender is not to declare war on anyone. I have to say that first. I've been tasked with preaching the whole counsel of God, and therefore I have an obligation not to skip anything the Holy Spirit leads me to. But I'm I'm telling you, some subjects are difficult. They're a challenge to present, and they're, they're personal for many people. They're controversial. But if we're going to be among the few that represent God in a world that has almost wholly replaced him with the individual, then we at times have to deal with the difficult. And not out of a desire to be controversial, but rather out of a desire to please God. To know what God thinks about these kinds of things. And I hope that you'll see that this morning the spirit behind the presentation is not one of condescension, and it's not one of judgment. I'm simply trying to get us to see what God says about this matter. And honestly, we want to know so we can please God. We also want to know because a voice for truth is needed in our day. And I start with verse 27 when it says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You know, the fact that God included the phrase male and female created he them in the creation account means that this is his plan. This is the way it's supposed to be, and yet we've never seen a time in history when the simple phrase, male and female created he them, has been more under attack. As Bible believers, we believe creation as God originally made it was very good, meaning everything that he made before man touched it with his sinful fingers, everything that God created before man came along in chapter 3 and sin was complete. It was as it should be. It was blessed. It was very good, including the phrase male and female created he them. Two distinct genders and only two. It's how God created it. That's how he intended it to be. And this isn't preference, folks. It is theology. 
And if we believe the Bible, that the Bible, specifically Genesis 1, is a revelation of God to his people, then that this is a study of God so we can learn of him, then this issue of gender is not a matter of societal definitions or acceptance. It is a matter of theology. It is set as set in stone and concrete as matters of salvation or the deity of Jesus Christ. The things that we would die for without sounding hateful and with all the genuine love and compassion I can express with the help of God, this issue is not up for debate for the one who believes the Bible. See, the Bible is clear on the theology of being masculine and feminine, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And God's plan for procreation and filling the earth with his image bearers is dependent on the sexual distinction of a man and woman. If it is our responsibility as human beings to procreate and to reproduce image bearers, then it's male and female. This matters to God. But in our me-centric society, where you select your personal identity and how you choose to define yourself, that trumps then every other factor, including anatomy and including chromosomes. And last I checked, there were literally dozens of gender identities, things that were once accepted based on simple anatomy, are now ignored and replaced by the more societally accepted standard of self-understanding. And it's now considered discrimination in many places to force someone to choose a bathroom based on gender if their self-identification does not match the body type. And we are moving away from the binary definitions which are male and female or masculine and feminine to the non-binary definitions which are whatever you choose. And it's not just about identification. It's also about the roles that are being played by men and women. See, this battle, we, we are seeing the outcome of a battle that's been raging for decades and that is not the battle of identification. It's the battle for roles. The role of a man and the role of a woman. No wonder we are where we are today. It's the natural outcome uh, of the attack that the role of a man and the role of a woman uh, is supposed to play in the home and in the church and in society in general. There's now an expectation of interchangeability between the two. I mean, one major presidential candidate stood up this week on television before the nation right next to his husband. The distinction between the genders has all but disappeared. And if you speak against it, you have discriminated. And folks, that's why it's very important that as Bible believers that we speak the truth, but we do it with love. We speak the truth, but we do it with the right spirit. And that's why this morning, uh, in in a different way than I even normally preach, there are plenty of times where I I will be reading what I've written out. Because I do not want to say something that is controversial just to be hateful. I don't want to say something that's taken wrong. Uh, I am trying to be very careful about the words that I use because I know it's sensitive. But in the end, our primary role, our primary goal as Bible believers is to proclaim what the Bible says. That's what we'll do. We're in a new era. One that has never been present on this planet to this level. And I want to mention three factors that I believe are at work. And these are my own thoughts on this. But I believe first is an effort to diminish the authority of God's word. 
And that's always been around, and it's nothing new. You could go to the next chapter, Genesis 3, and see that there was an effort to diminish God's word right away. So that's Satan's ploy. That's the way that he is trying to get us to question the authority of God by questioning God's word. So that effort has certainly been diminishing the, the authority of God's word in the minds of people by questioning its validity, by questioning its accuracy, by coming up with brand new, many, many more new versions to try to fix the old versions of the Bible. And all, the effect has been that the, the authority of God's word has been diminished. And that's been a, an, as a very clear effort to do so. The second thing that at play is an elevation of the authority of the individual. So while our culture is trying to diminish the authority of God's word, they're elevating the authority of the individual. That has become the highest virtue. And then third, there's an increased pressure to define a new normal. To define new normals. To replace the traditional morality and bring in something new. There's new definitions coming out. And, you know, I cannot help but think who it will affect the most, which is the next generation. See, you and I probably have in our minds, we're set, we didn't grow up in this culture, we didn't grow up with people telling us uh, what's acceptable and what is not acceptable, and this is how I define myself, and this is how you define yourself. We didn't, most of us, grow up in that society, but our children will. Our children are being raised in a culture that tells them God's word is not authoritative, that your truth is the most important truth. They're growing up in a society that tells them their individual rights matter the most. And they're being led to believe that they get to define themselves however they want to, even if it's outside those traditional norms. A few weeks ago, I received some information from a church member, and I'm not going to read through all of this, but it's regarding the laws that are being proposed in our country that are focused on sexual orientation and gender identity. It's called Responding to the Transgender Issue Parent Resource Guide. You know, never, never as a child growing up did I think I'd ever hold a document like this in my hands. That we would have to prepare the next generation for how they are supposed to respond to an issue like this. I, I, can't, I just can't hardly believe that we are here, but we are. Now, as I was reading through it, it's, it's a collection of information about, about parents helping their children deal with this gender identity issue, and it's from a conservative resource there it's uh, from the heritage foundation they promote conservative ideals and public policies but there are troubling trends Uh, the the document is well put together and it's helpful but the trends are troubling and you could go through and just see some of the some of the facts here that the u.s population of transgender identified youth ages 13 to 17 is estimated to be about 150,000. that trend has led to an increase in Pediatrical, me, pediatric medical transitioning. There are at least 48 clinics in the United States that specifically target transgender-identified children, and that number is growing. Our state just dealt with this same issue very recently. And parents are putting their children in the position of making lifelong choices as toddlers. And maybe you've seen this story about this seven-year-old boy in Texas and how his mother, he, mother says he wants to identify as a young girl. And his parents are divorced, but his father is against it and opposed to it. And his father is trying to get the law on his side to prevent the mother 
from putting him into medical treatment to begin that transition with hormone treatment and everything from the time that he's seven years old. I have a son, and he'll be seven this week. He's barely old enough to tie his shoes. You know, my son, I don't let him pick his own clothes out because that's beyond his capabilities right now. I brush his hair. I tell him to brush his teeth. You say, well, your child is underdeveloped. Well, that may be true. No, but listen, the point is this. Then why would we put something as life-altering and life-changing of a decision as you're the gender you're choosing to be to a seven-year-old or younger? And yet that's the culture that we're living in. Just reading about an NBA star this week and his, his son, natural-born son, is choosing to be a, a, a girl and, and he's embracing it and he's really putting out there the message to love. And listen, nobody here in this room would say we don't love people. The point is not that we don't love every individual, and you'll see that as we go along. The point is that we, as Bible believers, should allow God to define these things in our lives because we believe the Bible. There's so many considerations just listed in this booklet for parents, facts and numbers that speak to the long-term effects that this issue is having on our children. And our government is trying to make laws to enforce it. So how do we view this accurately, not just for our sake, but to help the next generation? How do we reclaim ground that has been lost? Well, we do what every Bible believer should. We go to God's word. We let him define the genders. We let him define the norms. We go back to the way it was created, the way that it was supposed to be from the beginning. And we follow his plan for the roles and identity of male and female Because listen, when he's involved, it's always good. It's only when we step outside, only when we step outside from under his authority and we try to do things in our own way that things become convoluted. In order to know where we stand on this issue, we must understand the biblical theology of gender. And I, in in no way today am I going to stand up here and say that in, in the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to give you a complete discourse on the biblical theology of gender. I couldn't do that in in multiple sessions. But today I'm going to give you a summary, an overview, a way that you as a Bible believer ought to think about this issue. We won't even be able to cover all the identity questions and, and cover all of the role questions, but we can in our mind start to, to shape the way that we should think about this subject. And there's four truths that I think will help us understand this issue. The first is that every person is born in God's image. Every person. See, we talked about it last week, and I won't cover it much this week, but we have the image of God stamped on our lives as human beings. We have the capacity to bear God's image like no other part of God's creation ever has. We bear God's image in our personality, in in our knowledge, in our feelings, in our will. We bear His image in our morality in that we're able to make moral decisions and judgments and we have a conscience. We bear God's image in in our, our spirituality in that we are able to make a connection with the Father, to have a relationship and fellowship with the Father. Human beings are the only part of creation capable of reflecting the nature of God. We bear God's image. We are His crowning creation, not out of intrinsic value, because let me remind you that we were formed and fashioned out of the dust of the ground. 
but we have value because he breathed his breath of life into us. I have value because not of anything I've done, but because I bear God's image. And our value comes because we bear God's image. And that is not the same as the me-centric worldview. The me-centric worldview says, I have value because I'm an individual. Well, no, you have value because you bear God's image. The second truth that I think will help us with this is that, yes, every person bears God's image, is born, is, is born in God's image, but second, every person is born with value because of it. See, understand one important point here. See, we can make a big deal out of gender roles, and, and, our, and our view of this uh, may differ, and even though the gender roles may differ, every person still bears God's image and has great value in the image God created them. See, if you go back and read Genesis 26, he starts by saying, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's the first phrase he uses. So I want you to realize that God did not begin creation of mankind highlighting the differences between man and woman. He actually, the first statement he made was highlighting the similarities between man and woman, that they're both made in the image of God. So if God wanted to truly highlight the difference, he would have started by talking, okay, I'm going to make man in my my image, and here's his role, this is what he looks like, this is his identity, and then I'm going to make woman in my image, and this is her role. No, he said, no, there's something similar from the very beginning. They're they're all in my image. There's value in every every gender, in every person, in each gender. And and the way that I, I want to present that today is that role and worth are not the same thing. Role... And worth are not the same thing because to God, every person matters. Every soul is important. A difference in role doesn't mean a difference in value. It doesn't mean a difference in dignity. I believe the feminist movement has missed the boat on this entirely because they assume that the difference in roles means a man is worth more than a woman and we've got to change that. That's not it at all. God places the same amount of worth and value on male and female from the very beginning. Each bears his image in a complete, fulfilled, very good, blessed kind of way. There's no distinction of value between man and woman. And anyone who says there is does not have a biblical viewpoint. I mean, we, as Bible believers, we place great value on the female. And we're normally the ones kind of being talked about, that we're old-fashioned and we're misogynistic and we're traditional and we're trying to keep the woman down. And yet in our book, Proverbs 31 says that a virtuous woman has a price far above rubies. You tell me how that devalues or demeans the value of a woman. It doesn't. We don't devalue a woman. And in the same way that a feminist is wrong for saying that the roles of male and female shouldn't be different, a man who doesn't value a female's worth is just as wrong. Every soul, male, female, matters to God. And frankly, every soul, male, female, transgender, non-binary, confused or not, every soul matters to God. Third point, every person is born one of two genders. Every person is born in the image of God, every person is born with value. But every person is born one of two genders. Your sex, male or female, masculine or feminine, was God's idea. 
His design for mankind was two genders. And that means his design for you includes your gender. You were born male, you were female, and that was part of his plan for your life. He wanted you to be born who you are, male or female. Very good is found in us embracing the gender we were given by God at conception. Even though our culture diminishes God's authority and elevates man's authority and tries to redefine normal, that does not change the plan that God called very good. Your body determines your gender. See, the other side of the debate is not just identity, it's the role of each gender. See, the, the, the identity debate is pretty easily argued away by Genesis 1. Male and female. And how God created them, that's who they were supposed to be. But the other one that gets a little bit hard is the role that we're playing. See, there are two schools of thought when it comes to roles by each gender. There's the egalitarianism and complementarianism. I'll spell them for you later. But the egalitarian says that God created male and female equal in every way. And they use Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And they say it makes no distinction between man and woman because they're both created in God's image. And they're both given the task to have dominion over creation. And they, they both believe, or, and so they believe in that there is equality, both in equality of value and equality of role and function. That's one side of the issue. The other side is the complementarian that says male and female were both created by God equal in value and equal in essence and equal in dignity, but distinct in their roles. See, look at Genesis 2. It says, and the Lord, verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's where we see God giving us his image. But Genesis 2, as it goes through, gives the specifics of God creating the woman. Look down in verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So we see that man's task was to dress and keep the garden. This is simple. The fact that Adam was placed in the garden and given this task is the first evidence of a difference in roles. Now listen, it's not, God did not say, you, will, you have this task, you will dress and keep the garden, therefore you are better than anybody else I bring along. No, he said, no, this is just your role. Right. And, and the fact that he states it and gives, it, gives him role, there's no, there's no talk about value, there's no talk about difference in essence or difference in dignity. No, he simply says, this is your role. The fact that Adam was placed there first is not better, it's not worse, it's just different. Look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. God calls the woman a help meet. That means a helper suitable for the man to complete the man. We start to see gender roles being defined. And we can say, well, I don't believe in gender roles. We're seeing it right here. If we're Bible believers, we go to the Bible and we let that define these roles for us. The man is the head. The woman is the helper. And again, I'm not saying better. I'm not saying worse. The equal in value, just different in roles. Verse 19, it says... And out of, the gar out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So Adam here is given the authority and the responsibility to name the animals. That's his role. I mean, a, the, a woman doesn't come along and say, well, I wanted that role and you're devaluing me by fulfilling your role. No, this is just his role. Verse 20. 
it says, and Adam gave names to, the, all the, to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. And, but for Adam, there was not found in help meat for him. So as he's going through this process, then he is naming animals and these animals in order to procreate, because God blessed them too to create or procreate after their kind to be fruitful. And he has to notice that there's a, there's a, a mate. He has to notice I don't even know why I'm throwing this one out there. When the aardvark walked up. I mean, I want to ask him, where did you get that name? Aardvark walks up, Mr. Aardvark and Mrs. Aardvark. And as he's naming the animals, that's why, because it's AA, it's probably at the beginning of the alphabet, one of the first things he used. So they come up and he looks and he says, there's a Mr. and there's a Mrs. And as he goes through this process, and we don't know how long it takes, but I, I can just imagine his, in his mind, as he's naming the animals, he's saying, well, oh, Mr. Aardvark has a Mrs. And Mr. Giraffe, sorry, Mr. Giraffe has Mrs. Giraffe. And this Mr. has Mrs. And, you know, he probably started thinking, I don't, I don't have a Mrs. I don't have a companion. And we don't know exactly how it all worked, but we do know that after he names the animals, there was not an help meet found for him. And I don't know if he thought, I will find one as they come. She'll come to me. She never did. Adam's given all these names and, and there was not found an help meet for him. So it says in verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So we see very clearly that Adam was, the, part of Adam was used to create the woman. And again, Adam was first. The woman came second. Uh, God didn't reach to the dust of the ground and create out of the dust of the ground the woman. No, he took from Adam's side and from that created the woman. She was created after Adam and from Adam. And, you know, it's interesting that, that people have a problem with this. I mean, I don't understand how it all worked. I just know what the Bible says. You know, that Adam came first. From Adam came the woman. It's obvious that there are roles already be, being presented. Verse 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And I like to think that he looked at her and he said, Whoa, man. And that's where he got the name, but maybe not. <laughs> maybe. Hey, you use your imagination like you want to when you read your Bible. I'll use mine like I want to when I read my Bible. Whoa, man. He'd never seen anything like it. I guarantee from that first, that first moment he looked, it's Valentine's Day, i got to get a little romantic. It was love at first sight, I guarantee it. From the man came the woman. After the man came the woman. And the woman didn't have less value. The woman just had a different role. She was a help meet for him. These signs point to that complementarian view that the roles were different from the very beginning. Man's the head, he's the authority, woman's the helper, the, the subordinate. The Bible is clear on the matters of identity and role. And here's what we need to understand. The fact that we live in a confused culture doesn't change God's facts. See, yes, there are lots of gender definitions out there. And you may have questioned yourself, or you may know people that do. It is confusing 
And there may be confusion out there about the roles that genders are supposed to play. And if you listen to the noise, it is definitely muddled and it's all around us. But understand this, the confusion did not come because God did not clearly define the roles or because God made a mistake and he placed the wrong person in the wrong body. No, when God creates, it's all good. When his word is received by creation... It transforms it into something good every time. There was no confusion at the beginning. And the fourth point, every person is born with a sin nature. See, yes, we bear God's image, and and yes, we have value, and yes, we have male or female, but we can't forget the fact that the reason for all this confusion is because of sin, See, the reason there's confusion is because that same male and female, man and woman, the next chapter, they stepped out from under God's authority and they were the first that had a me-centric worldview. Stepped out from his word and sinned and fell in that garden and it resulted in the disorder and chaos and confusion that is still present today. The gender issue is not a mistake of creation and it's not a lack of clarity from God's word. It is the result of mankind trying to do things his way instead of God's. And we've gotten to the point as a culture because we've ignored God's command. We've diminished the authority of his word. We've elevated the authority of the individual and we've redefined what is normal. And if we could just go back to his word, we would see two genders with two roles, and it would end the confusion. And you say, well, it can't be that simple, but it is. Psalm 119, 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And if we would simply inject God's word back into our lives, it would bring clarity to even the most confusing issues. You know, when you get lost, if you've ever been driving and gotten lost, not that any man in this room would admit this, but if you've ever been driving and gotten lost, what do you have to do to find your way again? You go back to where you took the wrong turn. And from there, you take the right turn. And that's what we need as a country. That's what we need as churches. That's what we need as families. We need to go back to the place where we decided God's word is not good enough. His authority no longer matters here. I'll live life my way and turn back to God at that point. Go back to where we lost our way. And it started back in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, and it's been ever-increasing since. That every man is born a sinner, every woman is born a sinner, and they, we choose, we choose to live our own way. The confusion began way back then. That me-centric worldview stepped in and confused everything. And so we go back to that point. We turn the other way. We stop depending on the feelings of the individual and the elevation of self and the redefining of what is normal. And we go back to what God says is very good. And our problem is not undefined gender or a wrong body or role confusion. Our problem is pride. We assume we can make life our way as good as God made life his way. We assume that if we choose our gender, it will make us as happy as the gender God made us. We assume that if we choose our roles, we can make our lives as good as God can. But we are not God. 
And our way is always inferior to his. And when you turn from his way, I want you to think about all that you forsake and all that you forfeit by trying to do things your way. Just think about Genesis 1. And what Genesis 1 has told us about God is that he's a God with a plan. And he's God that is all-powerful. And he's all-knowing. And his word is so powerful that he can transform us through it. And he desires fellowship with us. And he loves every individual human being. And he wants our lives to be very good and to be blessed. That's what we give up when we say, No, God, I'll live life my way. I don't need your way anymore. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And yet John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we have at right now, every day, we have a choice. If I am going to live the way that I want to and go my way, just knowing that the end of that way is always destruction. Or if I'm going to go where God leads me and live the way that he wants, knowing that the end of that way is life. We all have the choice to make. See, why live your way that only leads to confusion when you could live God's way that always leads to life. See, the gender issue, folks, it's not a matter of confusion. It's a matter of obedience. Are you going to live God's way or yours? So I ask then today, what you say, what do I do? Well, for the person struggling with their gender, you have to realize it's not a matter of feeling. It's not a matter of what seems or feels right to you. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, you can't trust your feelings. Our hearts have been affected by our sin nature. And if you operate based on your feelings, where does that end? If you wake up tomorrow and say, I live according to how I feel, but you don't feel like going to work, you tell me how that's going to work out for you. If you wake up tomorrow, or tomorrow you're at, at some place of a retail store and, and you see something you like and you feel like taking what you want without paying for it, tell me how that turns out for you. If tomorrow you're angry enough that you feel like you want to hurt somebody and you act that out, tell me how that ends up for you. See, just because we feel it doesn't validate it. And yet our culture, this me-centric worldview, is telling us if you feel it, you go for it and you're validated. Yep, right. But it goes against what God tells us. See, you cannot trust your heart. And I don't care how many children's television shows you've heard say otherwise. You can't follow your heart and trust it. We have a much more trustworthy source of information, and that's God's word. And friend, forsake your feelings. And I know that sounds easy. I know it's not. But God's word is the power to transform us. And he can transform even our hearts. He can transform our feelings. He can transform our natural way and change us and make us something new. Let God's word identify you. It's much more trustworthy than your heart. You say, well, I don't necessarily struggle with my identity, but, you know, I, I don't think but I know somebody that does, well, how can I help them? Well, just take them back to the Bible and tell them there's two genders, male and female. That your gender was determined by the body you have. 
down to the chromosomes that you've had since conception, by the way. And you may not feel right, but that doesn't change reality. You have to trust God's word over your own feelings. The only sure source of help that can be absolutely trusted is God's word. It never fails. And if you will trust his way instead of yours, you can go from confusing to very good. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And what we have is a culture that needs to get away from their own way that leads to destruction and get back on God's path. And God's path is found very clearly laid out for us in God's word. And for some of you in here, that means you've never been saved. And your confusion is maybe not even about your gender, it's about your eternity. But let me just tell you this, you are a sinner according to Romans 3.23, and you deserve hell according to Romans 6.23, but God committed his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came and he paid your payment on the cross, and if you will simply place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you can walk out of here no longer confused. So God made two genders, male and female, you need to get back to God's word. And you say, well, what if I'm struggling? I'm not struggling with my identity, but what if I'm struggling with my role? Well, the male has the role of the head in the family. And I believe, I know that's not popular, but I believe the reason so many women struggle with their roles is because the men are not embracing theirs. Right. See, men aren't leading. They're not setting a spiritual tone. I mean, I would say, I don't know, have numbers to back this up, but I would say that in, in many families, it's the wife, the mom that takes the children to church. They're not bearing God's image. The men aren't bearing God's image for their families. They've become passive instead of being out front. They're in the background. But men are supposed to be active. And men are supposed to be sacrificial leaders. They're to love their wives like Christ loved the church. He went all the way to the cross for the church. Don't forget that. He gave himself for it. They are to be responsible, the men are, for the spiritual lives of their children too. Ephesians 6, 4. It says, Father, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, that is given to fathers. Man, we are, we are, giving, are we giving sacrificially for our wives? Are we leading spiritually our families? Or are we living for ourselves our own way? Because our way leads to confusion in the home. When we do it God's way, it's very good. Women have tried to step into that vacuum, but that's not the way God intended it. They are to help. And for the woman who struggles with her role, understand, it's not about worth. It's about the role God has given you. And Jesus Christ himself has a role that he must submit to. He was subordinate to his father to go to the cross. Did that, does that mean he's any less God? Does that mean he has any less value? So embrace your role as helper and find out the kind of life when you live, live it God's way that's very very good. You say, well, what if I'm not struggling with my identity or my role? So here, here it is. Embrace who God made you. Be who God made you. If there's ever been a time that the world needs to see people that are living out their masculinity or living out their femininity every day, it's right now. The world needs to see it, folks. And they're not going to see it on television. And they're not going to see it walking down the street. But they might, just might, see it in the lives of people who believe 
and follow the Bible like the ones right here in this room from Eastside Baptist Church. So embrace the role that God has given you and show the world what it's like to be a man or show the world what it's like to be a woman, not with pride, not by being hateful, not by being discriminatory, by embracing the image that God has placed on your life. If we want to balance out all that the world is feeding us, we need to reveal to them what it means to be a man or woman and embrace the role God has given us. If you're a man, ask God to help you be as masculine as you can be in every role you have. I've had people ask me why I grew a beard. That's why. At home, in the way you love your wife, how you raise your children, how you bring them to church, how often in the way that you dress, in the way that you talk, how you walk, the things you say, your reactions. Men, let them call it toxic masculinity. We'll call it embracing who God made me. Not with a condescending spirit, not by being abusive. No way, that's never godly. But loving to the point of sacrifice because we value our wives and our children and our churches like Christ. And to the ladies, to the female, be as feminine as you can in every role you have. At home, how are you a help and not the head? In church, because there are clear lines drawn even in the New Testament about the woman's role in a church. Not being condescending. We're Bible believers. Toward your husband, at work, ladies, in the way that you dress. And I do believe we've got to be careful in the way that we dress, ladies. Because if we're going to show the world a distinction between masculine and feminine, how are you doing it in the way you dress every day? Because if the world is going to see a difference, I mean, where, where, except for God's people, will the world look and simply know, well, that's a feminine person. We, we need it. And the world needs it. Because I guarantee you, they're not able to, to very, very clearly look around and see these roles played out, not just at home or at work, but in the way that we dress. How you speak, ladies. How you submit to your husband. How you deal with your children. Let them call it old-fashioned. We'll call it embracing who God made you. You have a role, and it's important, and it's so important. It's so important that before Eve was there, God saw Adam alone and said, Not good. Everything to that point had been good, very good. But when he saw Adam standing there alone, he said, This is not good. And you know what? So your role to Adam is very good it's everything you were designed to be it's what God wants you to be it's not demeaning it's not devalued it's not diminished it is absolutely important so important to God that it's the first time in the Bible he looked at said and said something like not good that's not that's a compliment embrace it 
Be who God made you. Because when he defines us, it's always good. If we'll simply make this a matter of obedience, and we either go our way or we go God's. I really believe there's some healing to be had for those that have been convinced of something that's not biblical. It's time for God's people to be who God made us. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.